Good morning. morning. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Should be towards the front of your Bible. Um, I want to give a special thanks to John Faber for bringing the word on Wednesday night. Much appreciated. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Um, And certainly continue, please, to pray for Debbie Smith and for the rest of her family on the loss of Jim this week. Again, it was totally unexpected, and so uh, just keep lifting them up because it's, it's hard. Loss is always hard, but when it's something that is totally un, you know, unexpected and unprepared for, it's just it's a hard hit. So please continue to pray for them. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the four Sundays before Christmas. And every year at this time, I've broken off from whatever we've been preaching from and done an Advent series. And this year, we'll be looking at Advent themes in the book of Genesis, specifically in the first three chapters of Genesis. For today, I'll be talking about creation. When we think of creation in the Bible, I think we tend to think of it as an event. And it is that, but it's also a theological doctrine and a biblical theme which points to a good God who made a good creation. Because of sin, the Lord is bringing restoration and renewal to his creation. And so I'm going to read the first few verses of Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go through the entire chapter, but I'm going to read an excerpt of it before we pray. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we do continue to pray for Debbie Smith, Lord. We pray for their sons, for Jim's siblings, grandkids, friends. Lord, we we lift them all up as they have processed this terrible loss, this sudden loss. And so as people mourn and grieve, Lord, we pray for your nearness to them. Lord, we pray for our time today as we come together in fellowship to worship you. Lord, we pray that we be pointed to the truth of your gospel. Lord, we pray that as we look at this passage from the beginning of your word, that, Lord, we be reminded that you are a good God, and may that stir our love for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first episode of a TV series is called The Pilot, and it gives us a lot of information, but it can't give you the full story because it's one episode in a series of episodes. And so a good pilot episode will introduce the main characters. It doesn't give their full story, but you see enough of them to have a sense of who they are and how they relate to each other. A good pilot episode will give you a sense of what the rest of the series will be about and will hopefully keep you coming back for more of the story. Genesis chapter 1 sets the tone for what's to come. It sets forth 
so many themes which we will see throughout the Bible. And it points us to a good and mighty God who created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 regularly takes us back to the refrain that God saw and that it was good. And the point of that is that the creation that God made was good because God is good. In chapter 3, sin is introduced into the world and it has a devastating impact on creation. The glass is broken. And so my point today in Genesis 1 is to look at a good creation made by a good God. From there, we'll talk about the impact of sin on the world. And finally, we'll talk about the restoration which Jesus brings through a new creation. And so, in other words, we'll, we'll look at creation and the themes that we see in creation. We'll see how those are impacted by the fall and we'll see how Jesus restores. And so the three main points today would be creation, fall, new creation. And our main idea today is that Jesus brings creation, Jesus brings new creation to a fallen creation. I think I might have copied last week's uh, main idea slide. I should say that today's PowerPoint, though, is one of my best. So if you're taking notes, Jesus brings a new creation to a fallen creation. With that, we'll look at today's passage. First part, and I'll give a heads up. This first part, by far, is the longest of the three points. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Looking at creation. The first sentence in God's word always stops me in my tracks. It's perfect. One sentence in, and it's already communicated so much. While we have a beginning, and while creation has a beginning, the Lord does not. In the beginning, he already was. This verse points us to the eternality of God. And then the verse says, God created the heavens and the earth. The Lord is almighty. He made everything. It's not that he took everything and used that to make stuff. He didn't take the matter and use that to make things. That he even made the matter itself by which he created everything. We have an eternal God. We have a powerful God. And clearly we have a creative God. Verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The focus from verse 1 to verse 2 shifts down to earth. And we see a world that does not yet have purpose or productivity. It is not yet finished. It is a world that is not yet ready for life. The verse says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I would argue that even from the second verse of the Bible... It is beginning to introduce us to the idea of a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are co-eternal. Verses 3 through 5, we come to the first day of creation. These verses will also introduce some of the language that we'll see repeated again on the following days. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, 
And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. We see that this eternal, powerful, creative God is also a God who speaks. He is able to create by the power of his word. And this sets forth the pattern for the following days. God calls something into being, and it happens. God sees that it is good. Here, he calls the light day, and the darkness he calls night. As we'll see on the other days, there's an evening, a morning, and the number of the day. The first day, the second day, the third day, and so on. Again, we'll see this pattern repeated. On the first day, there is light. Now, there is not yet sin in creation, but light and darkness will become symbols for good and evil. It's worth taking the light literally, as in there was no light and now there is light. But many theologians have also considered the light to, to be a reference to the true light, the glory of God. God doesn't create his glory, he's inherently glorious, but he is proclaiming in creation the recognition of his own glory before his other works. Creation displays to the world and to the whole cosmos the glory of the triune God. With light and darkness, there is day and night, and it is because of that that we can have evening and morning. We come to the second day, verses 6 through 8. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning, the second day. As we saw on the first day, God calls something into being. Verse 7 also talks of God actively making the expanse. He is taking the water of the earth and separating the water of the seas from the sky. As he separated light from darkness, the Lord separates water from sky. Just as light will take on rich symbolism, so will water, as we'll see here in a few moments. The Lord is taking his creation and he is making it more hospitable to life. Something else to consider, both with this day and with other days, he's taking the water of the seas and he's separating it. In the ancient world where you had a lot of polytheistic, that means many gods, where you had a lot of pagan religions, a lot of them had a god of the sea or a god of storms different deities in which they worshiped. In creation, the Lord is showing that he is the one who is sovereign over all things. And again, that's really a theme we'll see repeated on following days. We come to the third day. This day has two creative acts. We see the first of those in verses 9 and 10. And again, not to toot my own horn, but I do, again, draw your attention to this PowerPoint. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. First, God separates land from sea. We see 
creation progressively moving towards habitation. In the ancient world, the seas were often look at, looked at with negative superstitions. But in creation, we see that even the seas are subservient to God and his purposes. Land will become a major theme in the Bible. Verses 11 through 13, we see a second act of creation on the third day. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God, said that it was, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Not only are there two acts of creation on the third day, but two activities where the Lord pronounces something good. The day is twice blessed. Fun fact, for a lot of observant Jewish people, historically and today, a common day to get married on is actually Tuesdays, because it's the third day, and the third day has two blessings. We see the, that's not universal, but it's kind of a tradition. We see the creation of plant life. The text says, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. God creates a self-replenishing system. He didn't just give the world one big stockpile of food in the beginning. Once again, the ancient world had many mythologies about planting and harvesting in accordance with the seasons. The Bible teaches that there's no nature God that we have to appease. There are no rituals to the production of our food. Our sustenance goes back to God's work in creation. Something else important in this third day is that it's continuing to advance God's world in what's necessary to sustain life. Day four, verses 14 through 19. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let, the, let, let them be light in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Verse 17. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens and to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. The sun, the moon, and the stars. But the text does not say, if you're reading in your Bibles, the sun or the moon. It refers to them as two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, the sun. The lesser light to rule the night, the moon. As with elements created on these other days, in the ancient world, the sun and moon were worshipped as gods in many societies. And as we've seen with water, land, vegetation, we see in creation that these are not deities to worship. They are things created by the will of God and which exist at his pleasure and for his purposes. In some ways, 
this verse doesn't even really dignify the sun and the moon. It doesn't even call them by their names, just two great lights. There is some complexity in the sense that God has already said, let there be light on the first day. There are different theories and interpretations. One is that the sun and moon existed prior to the fourth day, but that the Lord had not yet ordained them for, for their purpose until the fourth day. Another theory is that on the first three days, the light of the glory of God was what shined, just as the Lord had led the Israelites in the desert by a pillar of fire. God is all-powerful. He can emit light from anywhere he chooses. We do see in the text that part of the purpose for God's ordaining of the sun and the moon is that they would regulate the seasons, and that's something which would become very important in later Judaism in influencing their calendar and the timing of their various holy days. We come to the fifth verse, verses 20 to 23. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. We see the first creation of life. Now, language has varied a little bit from day to day. For instance, on the second day, the text says the Lord made the expanse and separated the waters. In this verse, it says God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves. That's the first time that the word create has been used since the beginning of the chapter, where it said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Creation as a word is not used on the first four days, though. The word will also be used on the sixth day, ultimately, we see, with the creation of man. We see this as the first time that the Lord blesses something. And we see the first divine mandate as the animal kingdom is told to be fruitful and multiply, just as humanity would be given that same command. Day six the creation of land animals, and the creation of man. Verse uh, 24 through 25. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then ultimately, we see the creation of man as the culmination. We see a second creative act on the sixth day, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice in the text that God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who is us? As I said in verse 2, I would argue that Genesis chapter 1 is already pointing to the Trinity. There have been various ways scholars have tried to explain the plural pronouns here. One excuse, I mean, one explanation is that God is simply referring to himself in the plural. The problem with that is that nowhere else does he do that in the Old Testament this way. So it seems like a stretch to make an entire interpretive rule based off of an exception. Another theory is that it's the heavenly host, the Lord and his angels. The problem with that is twofold. First, the Bible never says angels create. Secondly, the Bible says, never says that man is created in the image of angels. I would argue that the plural pronouns are because God exists as a trinity, and it is the triune God who is the us in whose image mankind is created. The image of God applies equally to male and female. Man in the image of God is another subject which whole books get written about. Uh, in incredibly impactful. We're, we're going to barely scratch the surface, unfortunately. Us being made in the image of God isn't primarily concerned with our outward appearance. It more refers to our capacity of what we can do. God is intelligent. He made man intelligent. Not as intelligent, of course, but we know things and can learn things. God is creative and made man creative. God is wise. He's given us the capacity for wisdom. God is loving. He has given us the ability to love. He's given us the ability to pursue holiness and justice. Again, that's really just scratching the surface. At the end of chapter 1, verse 31, as God is looking back on his creation, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. When God looks on everything he has made in creation, not only is it good, but he declares it very good. God's creation was very good because God is good. And so there we have this, this brief snapshot of what creation looks like in Genesis and how it is good. The point isn't really to talk next about the fall itself as an event. Lord willing, that's where we'll be in three weeks. But for now, let's consider creation and that it was very good and that there was no sin. And then the fall happened. And now the world is sinful and that sin impacts all of creation. And that'll bring us to our second point, the fall. In his letter to the Romans, Paul said, creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
And again, we've covered creation. And keeping that in mind, let's consider the ways in which the fall has impacted the elements of God's good creation. Light and darkness. As I said, there's not yet sin in creation. But darkness itself will become a metaphor for evil. In the Old Testament, we see language contrasting light and darkness. Light symbolizes illumination, truth, and God's glory. Darkness is the opposite of light. In John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. On the second day, God separates the waters into water and sky. Water is something on which humanity is totally dependent. We need it to live. In the flood, we see water used as a great symbol of judgment. At various places in the Old Testament, drought is sometimes seen as a divine punishment. Rain, especially considering the arid climate of the locations of the Old Testament, is associated with blessing. On the third day, the Lord gives land. As I said in the first part, land becomes another prominent theme in the Bible. The land of the world was taken away by the flood as a display of God's power and dominion and judgment. The promise of land becomes the dominant theme and the most prominent aim of Israel in the Old Testament. But the land is often inhospitable. Losing the land and becoming an exile from the land become prominent themes. We see it with Adam and Eve as they're exiled from the garden. It's a theme that we see in the life of Abraham as he's a man without a country. It's a theme that we see most certainly in the life of the Israelites as they are in pursuit of the promised land. And even once they get into the promised land, generations later, we see this theme of exile once again come up when they're judged for their sins and lose the land. After the fall, the Lord talks about a curse on the land because the fall impacts all of creation. Genesis chapter 3. To Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I think of today even, with all of our modern technology and devices, the challenges and stresses that farmers still have to deal with. I was waiting for a bunch of amens, but... <laughs> the world has fallen, and that impacts creation. That impacts the land. The impact of water on land. Sometimes we get too much. Sometimes we don't get enough. It's like it's so hard to just, just get it just right. Consider how uninhabitable so much of our world is. How much of our world is deserts or rugged mountains or deals with arctic temperatures 
So much of the land area itself throughout the globe is not really hospitable to civilization. On the fourth day, the sun and the moon mark off the years, but they're also a reminder of time and our finality, and that death is something in a world with sin which we experience. Animal life points us to nature, and it is totally ruthless and unforgiving and vicious. The animal kingdom is impacted by the fall, living in this tension of predator and prey. For the predator, needing prey to survive. For the prey, needing to avoid the predator to survive. But both ultimately awaiting the same fate in a fallen world. And then there's the impact of the fall upon humanity. That we too face death. We face disease and sickness. We face conflict and hatred. Humanity is the most advanced species. But we're also the only one that goes to war. We're the smartest of God's creative works. Yet also, in that wisdom, we can be the most sadistic in the ways in which we inflict harm upon others. Man is still created in the image of God. The fall does not change that, but we're corrupted. We're in the image of God, but man likes to act as if he is God. We like to act as if we're the ones who are in control, as if we're the ones who are sovereign over our own lives. Like, we're the ones who know best, who know what's good. But in Christ, we see the ultimate man who displayed the image of God to the world. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The author of the Hebrews says in chapter 1, verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And that brings us to our third point, the new creation which Christ brings. We've seen the initial creation and that it was good. We've seen the fall and its impact on that creation. Jesus brings a new creation to a fallen creation. And again, I realize I'm throwing out a lot today. I don't think what matters is remembering every detail, but ultimately the idea of a good creation tarnished by sin and how Jesus restores it. We preached through the whole Gospel of John. How does it begin? John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We learn that as God was in the beginning, so was Jesus. Jesus is eternal. Here he's called the Word. As in Genesis, the Lord commands things into existence by the power of his word. John's gospel begins by calling Jesus the word because he is God's ultimate self-disclosure to the world. God creates by the power of his word. Jesus is the word. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. As light and darkness become Images for good and evil. John's gospel says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
We talked about water in creation. In John chapter 4, when Jesus meets a woman at a well, a woman who's come to get water, Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Based on other passages and places like the book of Ezekiel, we know that this water is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. That Jesus gives living water because he gives spiritual renewal. In John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus talks of this spiritual transformation that his followers will enjoy, where he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, the Bible's final chapter, a vision is given of a great river in a new heaven. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. This river flows from the throne of God and is depicted in Revelation as a symbol of the purity of heaven and of the spiritual life and divine essence which flows from this river. The river also takes us back to the imagery of Eden in Genesis chapter 2. As man was created in an Edenic paradise, the Lord restores us to a new heaven, land. We talked about how inhospitable land and nature are. During the ministry of Jesus, we see his dominion over nature. He calms storms and walks on water. Lord willing, I'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but Jesus comes into the world as a new Moses to lead us to the promised land, the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. He goes to prepare a place for us. The depiction of heaven in Revelation 21 revolves around it being a perfected land. Quoting from Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Jesus brings a new creation to a fallen creation. The two great lights... As we said with creation, these were instruments of God for his purposes. In the new creation, they become obsolete. Revelation 21, 23, and 24. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And Jesus gives eternal life. He gives life to the dead. He gives new creation. As we see his power and dominion over nature in the Bible, we see also that Christ has dominion over life and death, over sickness and disease. He heals lepers. He gives sight to the blind. He causes the paralyzed to walk. He raises the dead. Revelation says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus brings a new creation to a fallen creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God's creation was good, but all of that creation was impacted by the fall. In Christ, we see how all of that creation is being restored. You might be asking, but what does that have to do with Christmas? One of the biggest things that skeptics will point to in their disbelief of Christianity is a virgin can't have a baby. How do you believe that? Because I believe in a God who created the heavens and the earth. And honestly, if you can believe in that, if you can believe in a God who made everything, believing in a God who can create a virgin birth doesn't sound so difficult. The Lord made a creation that was good, but mankind chose to sin. At the incarnation of Christ, a perfect Savior enters into his own creation. One without sin enters a sinful world. A God of life endures death, but so that he can bring life. And in that, when we come to him in faith, he works another miracle. He created the heavens and the earth. He can give a baby to a virgin, and he can cause someone dead in sin to be born again. He gives life to one who was once dead. And when you come to faith in the gospel, Jesus takes a heart and soul that are in darkness and brings us to life. He takes an exile and gives us a home. He takes dry bones and causes streams of living water to flow from us. We have a God who made a miraculous creation and a Savior who had a miraculous resurrection from the dead. And every time someone comes to faith in that gospel, he works a miracle in you. We sometimes make the mistake of thinking that the gospel is only a message of grace. It is that, but it's more than that, because it's also a message of new life. The reason why we need grace is we're sinful and fallen. And in making us a new creation, Jesus forgives, but he also restores as he is bringing restoration to all of creation, he brings restoration into the human soul when we believe in him. He takes us from darkness, and the gospel resonates with our soul, and there is light. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that you are making all things new, and that you are making us new. That you are restoring creation, and you are restoring those who have faith in the gospel, who are walking with Christ. Lord, may we rejoice in that. Lord, may we look with expectant hope to the day when all of that is perfected. But as we still live in a sinful world, Lord, may we follow you. May we follow the light of your glory. May we be the people of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.